It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. This is Bonus Benson. This segment is officially completely off the rails. What are you talking about? Stuff we wish never aired. I will eat chalupas all day long. Come on, man. The Guy Benson Show. Home stretch on The Guy Benson Show. And if you're listening on the broadcast, you are hearing a song that was for quite some time our show open. It was the start of every show, and now it's just in our normal rotation of bumpers. And whenever I hear it, I get like an extra jolt of adrenaline because it just triggers something in my brain like Pavlov's dog. The show's starting, even though this is the last segment of the show. That's Born to Be Yours by Kygo, who's this massive DJ with a huge following. And we actually play a lot of his stuff in our bumper music because I think it's very catchy. And it's the perfect way to begin our segment here about the experience Adam and I had last night. So on Thursday, I believe it was, I got a text from my buddy Evan, who runs the long drink, our sponsor in the happy hour. Finished long drink, really delicious. He said, hey, are you in New York this Sunday by any chance? I said, no, I'm in D.C. We've got friends in town. They're leaving Sunday morning. Why? He said, well, there's this music festival. There's a Kygo concert out in the Hamptons, and we've got VIP access to it, and it's going to be a really cool crew, and Long Drink is sponsoring it, and just thought it might be fun. And my first reaction was, is there any way you could get two tickets? Because if I show up to a Kygo concert without Adam, who is a big Kygo fan, I like Kygo. I like his music. I enjoy a lot of his collaborations with, you know, huge artists, past and present. But I'm not a super fan. My husband is a super fan. And I told him, I believe my exact quote in the text was, if I were to do this without him, he might consider murdering me. (laughs) So he said, let me get back to you. Let me work on it. So the next day he said, I can get you guys both in, but we're finalizing the list and we just need to know. So I said, yeah, we're doing it. I told Adam he was literally jumping up and down with excitement. He was so happy. He was texting his friends. So we drove from D.C. up to New York, parked in Manhattan, and then got a driver out to the Hamptons. Now, I had, prior to yesterday, never been, A, to a music festival of any sort, I'd been to concerts, but never a music festival. Not really my scene. B, I had never been to the Hamptons. I grew up in the New York area, never went to the Hamptons. Because generally, if you are a beach person in the New York area, you will typically either be a Jersey Shore person or a Hamptons person or Cape Cod people or have some other place, Outer Banks, North Carolina. There's a few other options. But generally, you go to one of these places, and that's your spot. And that was us. We were Cape Cod people. We almost never went down the shore, even though my mom grew up with summers down the shore. We didn't really do that. We'd always go to the Cape, never to the Hamptons. I'd never been out there, which is sort of wild. So I said, this is a cool opportunity. Get some long drink, meet some people. Some of the co-founders of the company from Finland were going to be there. A few other people that I wanted to meet. I could do something pretty great for Adam and we've got our anniversary coming up. And I said, all right. So we did it. And I will say it was at the airport in West Hampton. So occasionally like jets would fly in or helicopters would fly overhead, but the music was so loud. You could not hear the helicopter. That's how loud the music was. What I liked about the festival was it was not terribly crowded. I think it's because they had gotten us in this like VIP section, but you had this little couch. They had little couch areas outdoors. And then Waiters and waitresses who would come and just refill whatever drinks you wanted. And they had food trucks. So there was a Greek food truck that had legitimately delicious euros, and that was included in the price. So we had unlimited long drink. There were some tequila shots happening. There was beer. There was wine. And I was just making sure that I was drinking a huge amount of water the entire time as well. But, you know, to get into it and dance and sing along, like, I was definitely having some fun. It became a Sunday fun day, which I almost never do. 
And this is why we had gotten the driver, by the way. We'd gotten the car to and from the event because I said, you know, if I have a few drinks, I, I don't want to be driving. We ended up having such a great time. Everyone was great in this group. We all got along very well. We arrived just in time to see Zed perform. And Zed has a couple pretty big songs. Like Meet Me in the Middle is one of the big hits from Zed. I will say it's a little strange to go to a concert for a DJ, right? Because it's not really a live performance per se. They had a few elements of it, but a lot of it's just seeing like, you know, the pyrotechnics and the blasts of steam and the cool designs on the jumbotrons and that whole thing. And it was definitely a sensory experience and it was fun. The music was good, but it's not like you're seeing people singing or playing musical instruments, which is what I typically sort of associate with why you go to a concert instead of seeing a guy sort of like up on a stand pumping his fist as he presses play on a song, right? Although he, it's more complicated than that. I'm not trying to diminish it. Obviously, it's a hugely popular thing because, I mean, there were thousands and thousands of people at this concert. So Zed had a few songs that we knew and, and had some fun remixes of some things. And then Kygo was going to come on. He was the final big main act. But before he came out, something very unexpected happened. Someone was introduced, a local official out in Suffolk County in Long Island. And this person came out with a microphone onto the stage and started talking to the crowd. And I wasn't really sure, does this really happen at musical festivals where it's sort of like now let's hear from a local elected official or a government official. But they were raising money through this event for first responders and for Gold Star families. And he talked about how the 20th anniversary of 9-11 is coming up. Of course, Long Island and that whole community was devastated by 9-11, as were so many counties and towns all around the New York City area. He said, we're just days away from the 20-year anniversary of this horrible attack. And he also mentioned what just happened in Afghanistan with the 13 troops who were killed. And he mentioned, we can enjoy these types of events, this kind of fun here at home because of heroes like that. And he was shouting out individual first responder families and Gold Star families. And it was really moving. And at first I was sort of worried, are people going to respond well to this? Because, you know, you've got people, they've been sort of drinking all day. They want to see Kygo. They're there to have a good time. And then you've got someone up there with a microphone talking about 9-11 and, you know, the Afghanistan drawdown and uh, troops being killed. People were paying attention. It's not like everyone's just milling around. People were listening. There was really strong applause for some of these points. Big applause for the Gold Star families. Big cheers for this very important point that we enjoy the freedoms here because of the brave men and women who put their lives on the line to serve us. That got a huge ovation. There were chants breaking out of USA, which I was not expecting at the Kygo concert. I'll just be honest. But it happened. It was really cool. And it put things in perspective because part of me felt a little bit guilty being at something this fun, having been through the last two weeks of news cycles, and it's just been really dreary and really horrible and so sad and angering. And I've been on social media talking about it on the air, talking about it, writing at townhall.com. And then I was posting stuff on my social. Oh, here I am. And we're at a concert. And isn't this fun? And I love this song. But you have to live your life. You have to appreciate the blessings in front of you. But I think it's also incumbent to not lose sight of those who secure those liberties on your behalf, especially after the last week or two. And this moment, this brief set of remarks by this official in Suffolk County brought that home, brought the mood down a little bit, but not in like a buzzkill kind of way, but in a serious kind of way. And then out came Kygo, and it was just this little interlude that I did not see coming, but I was very gratified to see the response and the reception. That's how it should be. And then Kygo was great. I mean, so many hits, and I did a whole story on my Instagram. So if you want to follow me, I strongly recommend following me. Twitter is more political, Guy P. Benson. Instagram, much less political, almost never political. Also Guy P. Benson, and I have little snippets of various songs along the way. And then out of nowhere, 
like halfway through his set, Kygo brings onto the stage Jimmy Buffett. What? And Jimmy had his guitar and he actually performed and sang and played a guitar. I'm like, okay, I like this. I've always sort of wanted to go to a Jimmy Buffett concert. I'm not really a parrot head. I'm not sure if I want to go to a whole Jimmy Buffett concert, but to see him in person, he's a legend, singing Margaritaville, very different song than what you're used to hearing at these, like, what do they call EDM-type concerts. But who doesn't know that song? Everyone's shouting, salt, salt, right? And it was it was really cool. And then we, we took off a little bit early to beat the traffic back to the city because I did not want to be stuck in traffic at this airport just trying to get out. And we maybe did a little pit stop after all of our long drinks at McDonald's. So that came in clutch. And here I am in the city today. And that is a very atypical Sunday for me. But it was awesome. I had a great time. I want to share the experience. Christine, less than a minute. You you just seem like you're chomping at the bit with questions. I have so many questions here <laughs> and not enough time. Rapid fire. Okay. You were dancing? I was doing a little bit of dancing. Is Coachella next? No. Burning Man next? No. How was the traffic? You don't seem like someone that sits well in traffic. We got out early, so it was fine. Any celebrity sightings besides yourself? Myself. <laughs> uh, no. Although I got to give a shout out to Mike from Long Drink. He hooked us up with some rainbow Long Drink koozies. He's a New Jersey representative for Long Drink. I'm like, I've got a friend in New Jersey that you need to know, but she might drink all of your product. Last I, question. I won't name names, though. Go ahead. Where was my invite? I had to pull strings to get my husband there. So sorry, Cookie. You also could have paid to come to the Kygo concert. You could have been in the cheap seats just being the woo girl. Would you have recognized, like, would you have acknowledged if I was there the whole time? I'd be like, guy, it's me, it's In Cookie. your full, like, Woodstock get up. Like, hey, I think that woman keeps trying to get your attention, guy. Oh, I don't know who that is. Security. Security, if we can just. <laughs> and it was great. It was fantastic. So I wanted to end the show on a high note. to Kirk Herbstreet and Kygo. For a Monday, that's an awfully happy, happy hour. But we try to be serious here as well. It's a balance. It's a balancing act. We appreciate you being with us every single day. Back here tomorrow from D.C. on The Guy Benson Show. Home stretch here on The Guy Benson Show. Thank you always for being here. We really do appreciate it. GuyBensonShow.com. I'll be on special report tonight with Brett Bayer on the panel, 6 p.m. Eastern Time Hour with reactions to the president and his team and Afghanistan. Of course, that is the dominant story today. That's coming up on the Fox News channel in the 6 p.m. hour. I want to briefly touch on a story that for some reason keeps going. We keep getting more details and there are more twists and turns and revelations in the saga that is replacing Alex Trebek on Jeopardy. And I'm not sure how to frame this story without invoking woke tales. Woke tales. So the wokeness brigade has really torpedoed a number of leading candidates to host Jeopardy. Mike Richards was the executive producer of the show. He was then selected as one of the two co-hosts for Jeopardy. And I don't have a great deal of investment in this. I'll watch Jeopardy occasionally. I liked Alex Trebek. I hope the show continues to succeed. But Mike Richards, who had executive produced the show, he was selected to be one of the co-hosts. And I guess the two hosts would each take different parts of the schedule. But then it was revealed by journalism, if you want to call it that, that Mike Richards had said some things on a podcast in like 2013. So this was years ago. He was an adult. The comments sort of went viral saying, oh, he had said offensive things or off-color things or objectionable things. It took me a few articles to actually find the context of what he had said. I would maybe have counseled him. Maybe that wasn't the right thing to say in a few of the instances. But to pretend like they were beyond the pale, like you can't have a career anymore level stuff, is crazy. 
this is like not even close. The show, by the way, this podcast where he said these things years ago was literally called the Random Show. Random spelled R-A-N-D-U-M-B. It's just a throwaway nonsense show. And he said a few throwaway nonsense things, some of which were a little bit objectionable, and they dug these things up and then piled that on a few other controversies involving allegations or whatever, and he then wrote this groveling apology, of course, and stepped down from the co-host role. And it was announced he will just remain on as the executive producer. He'll just stay in the role. But now he's been thrown out of that as well. Because I guess if you said some objectionable things on the Random Show podcast in 2013-2014, and that's enough to cost you the hosting gig, then you can't even have your existing job anymore. There was Ken Jennings, who was the longtime Jeopardy champion. He was apparently in the mix, but some old tweets of his circulated. And he, in a number of ways, was a very sort of hateful left-winger who would engage in all sorts of political vitriol. That bothered some people. He had said some other things that were politically incorrect, and the woke people were mad at him. So he was passed over, despite his apology. The remaining Jeopardy co-host, who has not yet been defenestrated, is Mayim Bialik. Christina, am I saying that name right? She's the Big Bang Theory actress. Yeah, her name is Mayim, and she was also uh, a, a kid star. She had a huge show on NBC primetime called Blossom that I absolutely loved. Okay, she's so she's, she's a pretty prominent person she's an actress i guess she's also a scientist she's very smart so she's the other person that was selected but there are journalists now digging through her past trying to find things that are a problem like i guess she said years ago that she had some hesitancy about vaccinating her kids well look at that look and now how can we how can we have so i mean it does it not get exhausting so the saga goes on and on. Bialik has survived so far. Jennings not allowed. Mike Richards in and then out and back to producer. Now out from producer. This is a game show, ladies and gentlemen. A game show host. That's what we're looking for here. A game show host. And yet the woke mob, which gets behind this strain of journalism, which is seek and destroy journalism. Oh, This person got a new job. Oh, this person had something good happen to them. Let's go comb through their lives, even stuff that was done or said years ago, and let's find a way to ruin their life or take away this opportunity. And they call it accountability. You push back against them, the journalists, and it's an attack on journalism. How dare you? As I said, exhausting. And it's not just about wokeness. And about this sort of very, I would say, creepy, ugly desire to take people down, take people out, ruin a moment for people, destroy their livelihoods, sort of snitch culture that goes forever and ever. No grace, no forgiveness, no space for human error, no sense of proportion about what truly is beyond the pale and what isn't. It's just there's there's no perspective at all. And again, the fact that all of this is about the quest for a game show host, I think underscores the absolute preposterous, ridiculous state of affairs of our culture right now. We are not a serious society. The United States of America, and you might say that this is a stretch, but hear me out. The United States of America has abandoned Americans and allies in Afghanistan. Life and death. And back on the home front, a bunch of people are screaming at each other about who should be a game show host. The Chinese who are ruthless. The Chinese Communist Party is evil. They're engaged in genocide. They're crushing democracy. They're lying to the world about the pandemic that's killed millions of people around the globe. 
They are very serious about supremacy and the national interest. And they will use all forms of oppression and coercion to advance those designs. They have to look at us and say these are soft, silly, unserious people. Decline is a choice, and it really feels recently like the United States collectively were holding our hands and choosing to jump together. Let's decline all at once. And if America declines, and if America is no longer the hegemon globally, there's a power vacuum, someone is going to fill it, and we know who that's going to be. So maybe I'm reading too deeply into the Jeopardy kerfuffle, but I do think it's actually illustrative. I think it's a metaphor. Here we are canceling each other and scribbling stories and sharing links constantly about something incredibly unimportant and frivolous. And it feels like that's where we are right now. And there are a lot of other actors around the world, bad actors with bad values who are serious, deadly serious about their values. And this is what we're wasting our time on. And that's part of why I think all the wokeness and the excesses of this stuff drive me so crazy. We are consuming ourselves. We are consuming ourselves with this BS. And it's going to ruin us. And I don't want us to seed the high ground. Because I want the United States of America and our values to win the day. It's not going to happen this way. Been a rough, frustrating few weeks. It's probably why I'm getting this angry about such a stupid story. Because I think it helps make a broader point. And with that, we are out of time. I'll have to make my thoughts more concise on Special Report coming up in the 6 p.m. hour with Brett Bayer. Hope to see you there. Back here on the radio tomorrow, it's The Guy Benson Show. Home stretch here on The Guy Benson Show on this Wednesday. Always glad that you tune in. Well, we've talked about there's been a concerted effort to reduce academic standards and benchmarks across the country. And we mentioned in the last hour about how one teacher's union president is talking about how learning loss is a myth. They don't want really testing to prove that learning loss isn't a myth because that might make them look bad. They also don't want to reward excellence the way that they used to, which is why some of these school districts across the country, we've mentioned a few, out in the Pacific Northwest, out in Nevada. There was a prominent example of this where they are reducing the standards for graduation on proficiency and other relevant metrics. They are defining down competence and proficiency, and they're doing it in the name of equity, which I think is actually really offensive. They're saying, well, this is really for students of color, which is far beyond the soft bigotry of low expectations. It is institutionalizing low expectations. And, of course, that will have an impact on the kids if you're telling them that we all collectively expect less of you because of the color of your skin. It's just awful. We've also seen that a number of schools around the country, charter schools, magnet schools in particular, that have had for years successful competitive application processes where you have to get in based on merit, test scores, etc., that has been done away with. We've seen it in San Francisco. We've seen it in Northern Virginia. We've seen it in New York City. Merit is a bad thing. Merit is unfair. Merit does not play in to equity. There are too many students with this skin color who succeed in these realms. So let's get rid of the systems. Let's get rid of the standards. And the latest example, also in New York City has to fall under the category of woke tales. Woke tales. Headline in the New York Post, New York City wants schools to rethink honor rolls deemed detrimental to students not making the grade. They're remaking the grade, writes the Post. 
New York City's Department of Education wants schools to rethink honor rolls. I love this. At the left, they want us to reimagine community safety and policing. Let's rethink honor rolls and class rankings, too, because they're, quote, detrimental to some kids, according to new guidance. Recognizing student excellence via honor rolls and class rank can be detrimental to learners who find it more difficult to reach academic success, often for reasons beyond their control, the document states. So they want schools to widen recognitions to include other contributions to the school, including demonstrations of, wait for it, social justice. I understand that there are some people who have special needs, who aren't going to be high achievers when it comes to academic learning. That does not mean that they are not important members of a community. It does not mean that they're not going to be successful in life. Major examples of extremely successful people would fall into that category. That does not mean that we need to get rid of the concept of academic excellence, class ranking, honor rolls, For the vast majority of students who should have something to strive toward, we should be rewarding this stuff. We should be incentivizing this stuff. We should be celebrating this stuff. But because it's unfair and it's not equitable and it doesn't take into consideration the contributions of people, for example, who may not get good grades or study, but they're very good and impactful with their social justice activism or what have you, I mean, it's, it's madness. Maybe you can come up with other metrics, other forms of recognition, right? If there are people with special needs, but they're amazing and they demonstrate integrity and kindness, there are other ways to point that out and to applaud that in some sort of official way. That does not require getting rid of honor roll, getting rid of class rank. I mean, there is an absolute assault against the concept of merit, against the concept of quantifying success. They want to eliminate the metrics by which we quantify and measure and track these things because they want to dumb everything down in the name of equity and fairness. It's not fair that some kids are gifted or work really hard and get recognized for it. Let's reduce everything. Let's reduce the definition of proficiency. Let's reduce graduation requirements. And for the people who are doing extremely well through natural gifts or hard work or some combination thereof, it's not really fair that they're recognized. So let's get rid of the recognitions. Let's reimagine the way we do this. It's not just the old sort of lefty thing, politically correct thing, where everyone gets a trophy, like a participation trophy. They're getting rid of the trophies. They're getting rid of the benchmarks by which we decide who get the trophies, who've earned the trophies. Just not fair. Achievement is not equal. Life isn't all equal and fair. That is reality. And we do a grave disservice. These woke brigades do a grave disservice by trying to get rid of of any of the lines of demarcation, as if they don't exist, as if they don't matter, while telling entire groups of students, we expect less of you because of your background, because of your skin color. And imagine being a disadvantaged student whose ticket to a better life and more opportunities and a great college might go straight through your gifts, your hard work, your ability to achieve well and score well on standardized tests where a lot of colleges are saying, oh, we're not going to look at that anymore. That's not fair. That's not equitable. That's a ticket out for a lot of kids. Being on the honor roll, being ranked high in the class, you've earned that. Well, they've got to get rid of that too. It's like they want to trap you in failing schools and then also eliminate the ways that you can distinguish yourself. Anyway, we brought this up on the call earlier, on the planning call for the show, and producer Christine was waxing nostalgic about, what was it, Christine, the one time you made the honor roll and your parents were blown away? Uh, they took me out. I remember it was in fifth grade. I got taken out to a very, very fancy dinner because I think they were in shock. And they were very happy and proud of their little cookie. 
and then what next semester you couldn't pull it off again um it was it was it was tough for cookie i i i got there i maybe like one or two more times i know in college i was much better i was a much more studious student but uh yeah it, i'm sure i unlike you and wyatt who probably ran the honor roll system um it didn't always happen for cookie but can i just tell you something I always strive for it, and it made me. I would see my friends be on the honor roll, and we would have to go to the class assembly and watch them get their certificate. And that made me want to work harder. It made me want to be on the honor roll because I thought that was so cool. Look at my friends. Right, it's something to thing. to strive toward and achieve, which I of guess course. is now bad in some people's minds. I was look. I was a good student. I worked hard. I liked school. I think I was on the honor roll probably every semester of high school. I made the dean's list a number of times in college. Ultimately, it doesn't really matter. I think at the time, of course, when you're trying to get from station to station in life and then graduate with a degree and enter the workforce, this stuff mattered at the time. And I'm glad that there was a structure that incentivized all of this. Because if they got rid of the incentives and just sort of blurred all the lines, it might have been tempting to say, well, you know, it's it's not really going to matter, so I'll work a little bit less hard, I'll be less engaged, I'll do more stuff that I want to do and less stuff that I need to do. I was not the best student. I was like upper decile, the top decile of my class, but nowhere near like valedictorian or anything like that. I was at a very competitive high school. But I, And I'm not like, you know, mad about this because I was an honor roll kid saying, oh, how dare they get rid of honor roll? I, I had so much of my self-worth wrapped up in it. No, I, I didn't. I just think it's a healthy thing for society to incentivize and celebrate success. And I feel like there are a lot of people across our society right now, most of whom I think would be more in the woke, progressive end of things, who view that as a problem. And look, I had other things where I was... Uh, not nearly as successful. You could even say unsuccessful. We were talking about the presidential physical fitness challenges. Remember those back in elementary school with like rope climbing and shuttle runs and uh, pull-ups. There were a bunch of things, and I never even came close to getting that certificate of merit. I could do some of it somewhat competently, but was just hopeless on other stuff. Like pull-ups, forget it. Not a chance. Christine, were were you more of the presidential fitness? Christine, were you more of a high achiever on the presidential fitness side of things? One hundred percent. I was always an athlete, even in high school. You know, I was on track team uh, aside from cheerleading. But that was where I was getting that. Remember, you either got the blue medal or the red one. I always got the red. I was always the fastest girl in the school. Like that's where I you know, really showcased my physical ability. And honestly, it was really great because that gave me some, you know, pride. And other people thought that was really cool, too. So and then other people, you know, a couple of my other friends wanted to do better, but they they've done away with that. There's no way they would have any physical fitness tests now in public school system. I think they might because I'm looking up here. I guess there's still at least some places the Presidential Physical Fitness Award. And what you would need to do, it's based on these things. Sit-ups, timed for a minute. Push-ups, as many as you can do without resting. Pull-ups, as many as you can do. Or there's another option, a flexed arm hang for as long as possible. The 30-foot shuttle run. The V-seat reach on flexibility. And then the mile run. Oh, I hated the mile run as a kid. Hated it. Oh, I loved it. That was that's where I really I was beating the boys. There was like most of the girls just did the hang on the uh, you know on on the bar. I was beating the boys in pull ups. That's what I remember. Ah, uh, the good old days. Yeah, but that's bad. I mean, it's just not fair that you were so good at that, and you should just uh, identify as an honor roll recipient. I can identify as someone who could do lots of pull ups. And if I couldn't, it's someone else's fault, and let's not count. Right? I mean, that's the madness that some people are trying to inflict and enshrine as a matter of policy in schools, and as is so often the case with woke tales, 
I think it's up to everyone else to say no. No, absolutely not. We got a break because we're out of time. Back here tomorrow for the Guy Benson Show. We've got a good lineup tomorrow as well. We'll talk to you same time, same place. It is the Guy Benson Show. Have a good night. Final hour here on the Guy Benson Show on this Thursday, chugging toward the long weekend. GuyBensonShow.com, our website. The podcast is free, on demand, every day. No charge to you. Available at your fingertips 24-7. We recommend subscribing. Maybe leave us a little review. The podcast has been growing significantly, and we are grateful to all of you for that. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, and wherever you get your podcasts. And because it is Labor Day weekend and the long weekend coming up, may I recommend, if you're 21-plus, the Finnish Long Drink. They sponsor the happy hour. They are delicious. TheLongDrink.com. You can find out where they are sold near you. Expansion into Michigan. I think that's their latest state. One or two more upcoming. That's the rumor that I've heard. And you can see where it's sold near you at TheLongDrink.com. You can also order online. Always drink responsibly. Joining us now is Kat Timph, Fox News contributor, co-host of Gutfeld, Fox News Channel, 11 p.m. Eastern, every weeknight. Also co-host of the Tyrus and Timph podcast. She is in our New York studios. And Kat, welcome back. So good to be back. Uh, so let's first talk about the success of Gutfeld exclamation point. Were you taken aback a little bit, just be honest, when you saw the quotes from Bill Maher yeah. calling Greg the new king of late night and he <laughs> wasn't really being that sarcastic? He wasn't being sarcastic. Even when other people kind of tried to shut him down, he, he, he shut them down. There was, you know, there was no but there. There was no, yeah, well, except this. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's just, it is really crazy, uh, especially given the fact that our staff is so small in comparison to these other shows where we shouldn't even be, like, compared to them, let alone having beaten them. Yeah, because you guys have, what, beaten Colbert yeah. now a couple times? Yeah. And he was the one that you were still gunning for, beating Kimmel regularly, beating The Tonight Show regularly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think part of what Bill Maher's point was, the left has become so ridiculous in so many ways that it's pretty low-hanging fruit to really go after them and ridicule them and mock them in a funny way because so many of these late-night guys are lefties and progressives and they're sort of on that team first. They let a lot of obvious humor just slip by because they're on the team. You guys don't, and there's obviously just a huge market for that. Right, and I think um, another thing he pointed out, which I agree with and I've been saying for a very long time, is it's not even just that these shows have a lot of, you know, it's only humor for lefties. It's only a lot of it isn't even jokes. Right. Uh, people aren't laughing. They're applauding the lines, you know, that they agree with. Like Clapter. Yeah. It's, yeah. I think that's what he called it. But that, that, that's exactly what it is. I mean, you forget that, oh, this is supposed to be a comedy show. And it's, it's, it's really condescending and it's, it's really very, you know, in a bubble. And all of those things are true also. But it's also like. It, there's no laughter there. It's kind of just, it's just like mean. <laughs> and just luxury. Yeah. It's condescending. Exactly. And the thing is, like, obviously I'm a political person. I have my views. I recognize other people don't. If I want to watch a comedy show late at night, I'm not saying you can never touch on politics. But I just think like the relentlessly preening, preachy political stuff gets exhausting. I don't watch really anymore. If something goes viral, there's a clip that people are saying is really right. good. I'll watch that. I was always a big Conan O'Brien fan. Yeah. And I would bet a lot of money that Conan is a very left-leaning person, that he and I would disagree on a bunch of issues. I don't care. And what I like so much about his show back on NBC and then TBS when I caught it, it was just funny and irreverent and wacky. It was very smart but also stupid, which is something that he really embraced. Yeah. And you would get, you know, like... He would do interviews with famous people, and I put that in quotes, where it's like a, a monitor would come down, and it'd be like Arnold Schwarzenegger's face or Bill Clinton's face at the time, and you'd have a guy on his staff who would do terrible impressions of them, and they would superimpose this guy's mouth over the face of this prominent person, and he would conduct these ridiculous interviews right. with them that were totally politically incorrect, and... That stuff made me laugh, not like, you know, closer look, in-depth analysis of the latest political fight from, 
you know, Seth Myers, with all due yeah. respect to Seth. You know, he's a Northwestern Wildcat, go Cats. But, I mean, it, you can only take so much. And you guys are at least pushing back on some of that. And that was part of Bill Maher's point. And I think a lot of people were like, oh, he's making fun of Gutfeld. Then they read a little further, like, oh, my gosh, he actually isn't. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it's... It's also interesting because obviously, you know, Fox, everybody knows Fox News, you know, right leaning this, that. And the show is obviously we make fun of the left, but it's it, there's more even ideological diversity in the show. You know, I'm not on the right or the left and I'm on every night. Um, and Greg is not your typical like right wing guy himself either. Uh, and we have, you know, different, you know, cast of characters on and we talk, we, we have conversations about stuff and everyone doesn't always agree about stuff. And we do like to keep it light and funny and fun. It's just, nobody wants a co- to watch a, co- like what kind of court jester like comes in to be like, I am smarter than all of you and you all suck. <laughs> and then everyone like, that's not funny, you know? I do. Uh, and, and the ratings are now doing the talking. And mm-hmm. it's pretty remarkable to watch. Kat, I want to talk to you about a couple different stories here uh, that we thought might be perfect for this segment. I want to start with a story that the New York Post ran a few days ago. You and your husband got married earlier this year, and Adam yes. and I had the great privilege of attending a very fun evening. Mm-hmm. We have our two-year anniversary coming up that we're celebrating this coming weekend. So Ooh. we've both been married at least relatively recently. Yes. And so I wonder what you make of this. Some newlyweds were upset at friends and family members who had RSVPDS and then were no-shows for their wedding, so they sent them invoices for $240 per couple because I guess that's what it cost them, right? Because you, you have to plunk down the cash. Whether people show up or not, you give a headcount to caterers and all this other right. stuff. You have to pay. This couple said, okay, if you're just going to disrespect us and not show up, here's an invoice. Please pay us for your empty seats, essentially. Yay or nay? This is one of those stories where I think everybody involved is awful. Uh, I wouldn't want to be in this circle of people at all or even any branch of this trash tree. Yeah, you would have gotten the save to date. You'd have gotten to save the date and put it right in the garbage. Yes. I mean, listen. Like, I will not. I will save the date to not attend your wedding. There is no excuse these days for like the for not saying even if it's last minute, I can't make it. Like we had people who were you know supposed to be our wedding, but then there was like a family emergency and they couldn't come. They let us know that right. even though it was a family emergency because we have phones <laughs> and like we have texting, we have email. Like it's not like the olden times when I don't even know what they did. I don't even have to like send a pigeon and right, then like the, yeah the yeah like there's no excuse for even shooting a text. Hey and like I'm sorry. I know I'm sorry. I can't make it. Okay, so so they suck. But also I don't know because. This couple, I mean, so they're starting out their marriage. They're starting out their marriage. And like the number one thing that they're worried about as newlyweds is like being petty over 240 bucks (laughs) over these people. Like, aren't you supposed to have some newly wedded bliss going on? They're they're sitting on their honeymoon with with like an abacus. Yeah, exactly. With a spreadsheet. Can you believe what the Smiths did? Although maybe, you know, a relationship built on mutual like mutually agreed upon spite for others might actually work. Yeah, I guess it could. I mean, there's some of that in every relationship, for sure. Uh, I think hating the same things is almost as important as liking the same things, although I hate almost everything that Cam likes. Mm. But, I, yeah, I, 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 uh, I think that you should be like, wow, we, you, know, you should at least say, hey, wow, we got married, love you, before you're like, all right, download the program. We got to get the invoice out. Get the spreadsheets fired yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. There's some people who need to pay. Yeah, $240 to be exact. And so obviously they're not going to pay it because either way this friendship is over. Like this friendship is over either way. So it's up to these no-showers whether they want to pay $240 and have the friendship be over or have it be over for free. You know, I would like to see this adjudicated on like a Judge Judy type format. Yeah. Right, where you have the defendant and you have the plaintiff and they come into the courtroom and the bailiff is snarking and Judge Judy's interrupting and yelling at them. I would like to know where she comes down on this because yeah. I tend to believe that you are right. I don't want any part of these people. I might lean, I think it's tacky to send the invoice because that is really petty and yes. spiteful, but it is a bad, bad look to RSVP yes to a wedding, which is a very big expense and a hugely important day in someone's life, and then not show up. And not 
Tell them. Yeah, without without like some forewarning and an apology or anything right. like that. No, I think I think we are in agreement on the not big fans of anyone involved in the no. story here. Mm-mm. Now, here's another one that I want to get to because I know producer Christine wants to go a little sincerely cat with you and get a piece of advice. Yes. There's a piece in Psychology Today which is recirculating. It came out last year, but it's how to spot or recognize a fake apology. Mm-hmm. or a non-genuine apology. And here are some of the big warning signs and the red flags, apparently, within the story. If the apology has a statement that contains a but, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but, mm-hmm. it invalidates the apology. This is what the person is arguing. Yeah, I agree. Similarly, if there's the word if, I'm sorry, oh, if, yeah. suggesting that it may not have really happened, then there's vague wording saying like, you know, I'm sorry for what happened, which is not taking personal responsibility. There's passive voice. The mistake that you were affected by, for example, sort of squirming away from responsibility. And then wordy, complicated explanations and justifications that are sort of muddying the waters mid-apology. These are some of the bullet points that they give us in this piece. And then there's a question about, you know, what to do, what constitutes a good apology. Uh, This is a Ph.D., who's written this piece, so it has to be right and not questioned. Uh, I, but I, have a, I have another one, another sign of a bad apology. Please. Uh, somebody who just goes, just completely blows it up like, you're right, I'm sorry, I'm the worst, I should have never been born, yeah. I was the worst <laughs> thing that ever happened to you was me. It's like, okay, you were like 15 minutes late, like, you know, so it's like, so then they become the victim and you yes. need to console them. Yeah, self-flagellating. Yes. Like, no, they're they're there. They're no. Yeah, yeah. Don't be so hard yeah, on yourself. Yeah, exactly. So that's another. Ugh, that's a bad one. You can't handle it. Okay, no. so in this vein, producer Christine has a question for you, and this is just a little mini sincerely cat at the end of the segment. Christine, what is your question? Well, Todd gives the best advice, so I was very <laughs> excited about this story, and I was very excited to ask her. Okay, I have two things. Number one, I have gotten the apology of. I'm sorry if you were offended. Yeah. And I really just told the person, I don't accept that apology. It's not an apology. That's an apology. But I have another question. And this is a little, you know, more thought provoking. But I have a theory. 99% of apologies are not real. Probably true. Just to make the other person feel better. You're not, you're very dope. We're smart people. When we say things and we do things, you don't, I, I don't think you're technically really sorry yeah. until that person has a freak attack and then you have to apologize and you don't mean it. Right. I think that the, the like there's a pretty simple format for what is a real and true apology. And that is you say you're sorry. You say, you know, just factually what you did wrong. You say why it was wrong and what you should have done instead and how you're going to avoid that in the future. Like that, like that's, that's how it goes. Because if someone says, I'm sorry, and you say, for what? And you say that I hurt you. Well, what did you do that hurt me? And, and why was that wrong? All right. So it's not so vague. Yeah. But um, I do want to say one more thing, guy, this doesn't count for all the times that I've made mistakes in the show and apologize. Mm. That I really was truly sorry about. Mm. Justin, we had to put that on record. Yeah. That, that's super sincere. (laughs) I'm convinced. (laughs) and look I also recognize there are sometimes don't apologize in general don't apologize unless you believe that you should right however there are times where trying to clear the air or smooth things over does require some finesse where it's not necessarily an apology but you're at least acknowledging someone else's feelings and saying I did not intend to make you feel that way without really apologizing but just affirming on some level that they are hurt and then trying to move past it. Like, I think that there's a place for that, but not as a replacement for an actual apology for something for which you should apologize. Right. Yeah, those are different things. There's a place for each thing. But the bottom line is, is in any relationship, whether it's like a romantic relationship, marriage, friendship, anything, um, there just has to be that genuine understanding of you know, their feelings and your actions and the relationship between those two things. And uh, if your focus is like, how do I get out of this or how do I make myself look better? That's that's not going to work because that's that's completely one sided. Honey, I'm so sorry that this happened. I'm so sorry that you feel this way. Let's make up by sending another invoice to the yeah. $240 now with interest. I think that's the solution, perhaps here. They're going to do that every three weeks. <laughs> 
Cat Tim, Fox News contributor, co-host of Gutfeld every night, including tonight mm-hmm. at 11 p.m. Eastern Time, Fox News Channel. Cat, have a good long weekend. Thank you. You too. It's the happy hour on The Guy Benson Show. hour here on the Guy Benson Show. I referenced this in the last segment with Kat Timpf, but we've got an anniversary coming up, Adam and I. Two years. Not quite there yet, but we're just a couple days away. And we're pretty excited going back to where we got married in Napa Valley. We're going with our parents, and we'll do some wine and some food and maybe some hiking and that sort of thing. I am also extremely excited and nervous about the Northwestern football opener tomorrow night with the Wildcats hosting Michigan State. I don't know what to expect from this team. There's a lot of new faces in new positions after an incredibly successful year. Last year for the Cats, we had Kirk Herbstreet on the show earlier in the week, and he picked my Northwestern Wildcats, so fingers crossed there. But I'm just excited. I'm excited for the long weekend. We're going to take a couple days off, so I'll be off tomorrow. I'll be off on Tuesday. We've got great guest hosts in here for you. But I was telling Christine during the planning call earlier in the day I'm sort of tempted and maybe seriously considering either freezing or deleting my Twitter app off of my phone for the trip because these news cycles have been really tough. I think we can all agree over the last few weeks. And my blood pressure rises as I watch the news, as I watch the latest developments on Afghanistan or what have you. Of course, then you have a big storm That's affecting millions of people and killing people as well. And to try to just have quality time with Adam and his parents and my parents and just unplug for a bit, that temptation of just hitting that little blue icon and then having just the dumpster fire of Twitter anger and argument explode onto your phone and then suck you in, I don't want that. So I'm wondering, do I have the discipline to just ignore it and only open the app occasionally to like tweet a photo of a glass of wine or something? Or am I going to get down into the political rabbit hole, and could that impact the little vacation, the little trip? But what if I want to tweet about the football game or something? I don't know, Christine. What should I do? I think that you should, especially after these past couple of weeks, I think you need a break. Um, if you're going to post about wine or you know your family, uh, our anniversary, whatever, do that on Instagram. Let's delete Twitter from the phone, and I will make the solemn promise to you that if there's something breaking, I will be the first to call you, and then you can get your Twitter back on and tweet away. You're going to just show up hovering in a helicopter at the vineyard with a megaphone. Guy Benson, (laughs) check your Twitter. Redownload the app. It's cookie. And I'd say, you know, you could have just texted. You're like, no, I needed some wine. I'm not bringing you back wine. That's not a promise. But I think, believe it or not, that might be some decent advice. We'll see. But the decompression will be timely and needed. But this show isn't over. Much more still to come on the happy hour. This is the Guy Benson Show. Home stretch on this Thursday on the Guy Benson Show. Here in the D.C. area, we got pounded with some pretty intense rain late yesterday, but it was nothing compared to what made its way into New Jersey and New York. We had some really intense rain the night before, and then a little bit of storminess during the day, and I guess that system moved up. These are the remnants of Ida. And some of the video I was seeing out of New Jersey and New York was just crazy. Like, Newark Airport had so much standing water just pouring down some stairs. I guess they canceled hundreds of flights out of Newark today and finally reopened. So that's just a total travel nightmare. Amtrak canceled all of their service in a certain corridor for the whole day. They just blasted it out. They just blasted that out and said, sorry for the inconvenience. I mean, the weather is just pretty wild. And the amount of precipitation, the amount of rain. I saw a lot of my friends who were up there in the New York area and sort of the surrounding locations saying they've never seen that much sustained rain that hard for that long. 
And we know that the death toll, there's flooding, there are all sorts of associated problems. The death toll from this storm is now into double digits and in the ballpark of two dozen. So obviously very, very serious. We had Janice Dean on earlier in the week talking about this storm as it was still in the deep south in the Gulf area. But quite a lot of devastation up in the New York, New Jersey area as well. I got a text message on the group thread last night from producer Christine, who had lost power, which is one thing, it happens, but she said that her roof was also leaking, which is no bueno. That is never good. And when the storm is as intense and wet and relentless as it was, that can really do some significant damage. And if you're a regular listener to the program, you know that producer Christine is not necessarily renowned for her calm under pressure, right? Her kind of preternatural level-headedness in the face of adversity. She's sort of the type of gal that if something goes slightly wrong, she douses herself in gasoline, lights a match, and jumps through a plate glass window from an upper floor of a building. That's sort of her general response to something going slightly wrong. That's kind of the the way that she handles things. So I'm actually surprised and relieved that she is still with us. I guess that the, uh, the power came back on in her neighborhood, and maybe they had enough buckets to deal with the leaks. Christine, how are you feeling today? I am feeling much, much better. Um, I think I really lost. I think I was pretty calm, cool, collected through the majority of the issues we were having going on in the house. But once the power went out, um, and I'm sure a lot of people that live around this area in the Northeast know, I realized quickly, wait a second, this rain is 10 times worse than what we saw during Sandy. During Sandy, we had breaks. You know, it wasn't, this was, you, you know when you're in like a, a major thunderstorm, it's torrential downpour, and you, you think to yourself, all right, let me just stay in the store, let me just stay in the car, it's going to pass by in a couple minutes. That was the type of rain that probably lasted almost 12 hours and never let up. And unfortunately, we live uh, in northern New Jersey where the houses are, are much older, And this roof just couldn't handle that. So before the power went out, I started to notice in my master bedroom and in my guest room that little leaks, little leaks that turned into pretty bad leaks. And then as my husband and I were trying to fix this, my daughter came upstairs and said, I hear water downstairs. And we found another leak. We have an extension in the back of our house which we just put a brand new roof on that part spent $3,000 last October leaking all over the place. We had to get buckets. I had to um, ask a neighbor to leave buckets uh, just outside so I could run out and get them really quickly. I had to get in the attic and take like, you know, Christmas stuff at, you know, cause I have tubs for each holiday. I'd start pulling them out because the, the yeah, when your, when your holiday decorations are threatened, oh. things get serious in cookies household. Husband had this great idea that he was going to use this thing called flex tape. Uh, it's kind of like a like stronger than masking tape. Um, what's kind that like duct tape? tape people use? Duct tape, yeah. But it's called flex tape. So he had me holding a flashlight in the attic while he's trying to feel in the dark for where the 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 water's coming in, and then he's trying to cut the flex tape with little little light and put it on the wood, which it did nothing. That, did, that didn't help at all. And then once the power went out, um, the panic in Cookie started. And don't forget, I have an eight-year-old little girl who is freaking out herself. So I probably, I probably could have been better, and I'll work on that. Uh, but suffice to say, because I had this irrational fear, uh, maybe it was rational, I don't know, that the entire roof was going to cave on us, I had Megan uh, sleep with me because I was terrified. Now, how would Megan sleeping with you help anything if the roof collapsed? I'm not really sure. At least I had her with me. I don't know. My husband was asking the same thing. Because my husband, don't forget, he was on duty all night. You know, he woke me up a little bit so I could help him. But he had to really stay up 
and just keep monitoring wherever the rain was coming in because, you know, we have hardwood floors. And if, you know, we weren't watching out, we could have ruined the floors in our house. And then what time, what time did the power go down? Um, I think the, when did I text you guys? The power went down like right then. Whenever I texted you last night. Because then I, that's when I really started to panic. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to work tomorrow. You know, all that stuff. How long did it stay out? Uh, by, like, I would say by three, maybe. Like, I could hear, I, I heard, you know, you know when the power comes on and you're sleeping and you hear things turn on again? Yeah. Like, I could hear the clickings of things turn all on. Right, so it was a few hours that it went out, which is not that bad, all things considered. No, but you start to think, you know, with Sandy, we were out without power for two weeks. Right. And just the flashbacks of that came into my mind. And, um, yeah, I did a number. And I, I listen, we were the lucky ones. We, we had neighbors that had inches upon inches of water in their basement. Um, we knew somebody uh, we heard today that was stuck on the highway, had to have one of those boats come, you know, the little float boats come out. And oh, rescue wow. them. It it was really really bad in my area. So um, you said I'm that Megan could hear. You said that Megan Iris. could hear the water in the basement. Did you guys not have water in the basement? So uh, no, Megan heard water in our first level. Uh, yeah, we did Got have it. water come in the basement too, but nothing terrible. Um, like all, we have a drop ceiling. That whole thing, like, just came crashing through, and it was all soaking wet. So Bobby just said that's an easy fix. Like, he can go to Lowe's at one point and fix that. But, I mean, we have people that around here that their whole entire basement is just destroyed. It was so really bad. was Megan, your daughter, freaked out because you were freaked out? Well, yeah, and then I probably didn't help because I was looking at the news of the tornadoes, and that's when she really started to freak out, and then I was looking at the video of the tornadoes, and she's like, Mommy, is that coming here? And I said, no, 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 no. But then Bobby's like, you know what, Christine, why don't we just not show her videos of tornadoes? Because then Megan and I were thinking about sleeping in the basement, but then when the basement started getting wet and also our dog was down there, we figured, let's just uh, get into the game. Well, couldn't you just sleep with the dog? Down in the basement, to sort of so, gather everyone down there. If you were, I don't know, was it really a, a threat, a substantial threat of tornadoes? No, not by us, but in my mind it was. But no, no, we know. Right. I mean, you, we you hear, getting, like, you know, this, is, this is the woman who thought that she had COVID every day for like six months. Right? She's just convinced yeah, I didn't buy that. anything bad in the world is going to come directly to her doorstep. And so, but if you were worried about that, why not get. Yeah. Megan and the dog and sleep downstairs. Well, it's funny you ask that. Uh, my dog refused to go outside for a good 10 hours. And we all know what happens when dogs don't go outside. She oh, decided boy. to, you know, sneak down into the basement and make that her potty room. Oh, boy. So, this, um, yeah, the this systems morning, were really breaking down. It was bad. My poor husband this morning was getting the carpet cleaner out once the power came back. It was, it was just bad. I called Wyatt this morning, and I said, not enough caffeine for today. But actually, I was glad. I thought I wasn't going to be able to do work today, but I'm glad I did because that, you know, kept my mind focused and let my husband have to deal with the roofer because we need a whole new roof now. Well, I'm surprised you didn't self-medicate with just two open bottles, double fisting, mama's (laughs) juice, just stumbling (laughs) through the dark house, swigging in panic. No, no mama's juice was had. No, I don't. No. See, mama's juice to me is fun. It's not like I don't use it to, uh, I don't use it as a coping mechanism, which is shocking, I know. To me, that's just a fun thing, which Bobby always cracks up because he he would think, as just like you, like that's the time where I would go for the wine. No, I just take a random Monday when nothing's going on (laughs) and decide to just have some wine. (laughs) Now, Quiet Wyatt, you're also in New Jersey. What was the extent of your weather emergency? Guy, it wasn't that bad here. I, I don't want to make light of the situation because I know people have lost their lives and their homes are destroyed. But it, here, the only thing that caused the problem was my Wall Street Journal paper edition didn't come in the mail this morning. <gasps> my God. No paper edition of the – did you have to resort to the online version, Wyatt? Yes, I had to do online wow. today. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers for Wyatt 
and his Wall Street Journal subscription. Hopefully, the madness will end and order will be restored tomorrow with the Friday edition of the Wall Street Journal. And we will have the Friday edition of the Guy Benson Show, although I will not be here. Guest hosts tomorrow and Tuesday. We've got a great best of for Labor Day as well, as we mentioned earlier. A little bit of a anniversary trip for the family on my end, but I'll be back here next week, and we've got you covered in the meantime. Thank you so much for listening. Have a fabulous long weekend. I'll talk to you next week. Guest host and best of. In the meantime, happy Labor Day, everyone. It's the Guy Benson Show. That was this week's edition of Bonus Benson. For more Guy Benson Show, go to GuyBensonShow.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to be part of the conversation with me, Brian Kilmeade. I'll talk about the biggest stories of the day and get your take along with some of the biggest newsmakers around. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the podcast at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.